Ephesians 4 in the New Testament. If you have a device, we go through the ESV. If you want to stay tracking with us this morning. Uh, Starting next week, we're getting ready to launch into about a year-long series through the book of Acts. It's called The Church That Jesus Builds. And if you look behind me here, um, you can kind of see our our big S here. Um, That stands for substance, by the way. Um, But we have this... uh, we, ha- we have this phrase, these, these three phrases that you see on our, on our t-shirt and on some of our documents, which is gospel-centered, relationally driven, and God-glorifying. And so as we go through the book of Acts, we're really going to be in a lot of ways, week by week, breaking down what it means to be a church that is gospel-centered, whose foundation is the good news of Jesus. You know, you notice a lot of the words that we sing really center around the gospel and the good news to the point where you might be saying, man, I'm really tired of that word. Well, we can't be tired of that word, right? That's a word that we need to be using and keep uh, re-emphasizing and keep re-explaining, right? The good news of Jesus Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the only reason why we're here, why we have life, why things change for us, right? So we're going to be really kind of unpacking that almost every week and then relationally driven. You know, how do we move towards people the way that Jesus has moved towards us? How does that affect the way that we love one another as a church body? How does that change the way we're missional, right? How does that change the way that we love our community? We want to be relationally driven. Why? Well, because Jesus was relationally driven to us. And then, of course, when we are when we are just tracking in these two categories, we end up doing all things as a way that gives God most glory. And so that kind of caps off everything that we want to be as a church that God continues to build through Jesus Christ. And so, man, it's going to be a long series. We're going to take some breaks. We'll take a break in December to do an Advent series. We'll probably take a couple of other breaks. So it's not just going to be solid uh, book of Acts, but uh, it'll take us probably through next uh, August. And, and we're looking forward to to diving into that. Well, last week we, we talked a little bit about spiritual maturity. We're going to continue a little bit with that theme uh, this week. Last week we talked about pride and kind of the insidiousness of pride and how it creates really a lack of self-awareness in us. Um, and, and the way that pride creeps in, that's kind of one of the ways it fleshes itself out is we're not even aware of the ways that it's deceiving us and it's causing our sin to blindfold us. And so we kind of want to answer that this week in Ephesians 4 by saying, well, then what are some of the ways, what is what God given to us as a way to mature in him, as a way as a church for us to, to mature? Because the, here's the Here's the reality of all of our lives and the reality that we all face today. And this is every one of us, by the way. So this is not, hey, raise your hand if you're facing some challenges, right? We're all facing challenges today. Sometimes the percentages of challenges are sky high and sometimes it's a little bit lower. But when you're facing challenges, what will you do when you face them, right? Do you just think, man, I'm just going to gut it out? Is that how you approach challenges in your life? I'm going to gut it out. I'm just going to get through it. I mean, because to me, it just seems like God stands off in the distance waiting to see what I'm going to do. And we see that that kind of way of thinking, that worldly way of thinking, it kind of pervades um, our way of thinking, right? We, we kind of assume the way the world thinks when we face challenges, or as Christians, as the church, do we understand that, wait a minute, did, didn't God already provide us what we need, but maybe we're just not seeing it. Maybe we're not embracing it. Maybe we're not believing it. 
And so what we're going to see here in Ephesians 4 is that we, we actually grow in a particular way. God gave us a particular way to grow in spiritual maturity. And it's growing under God's word first and foremost. And as we grow under God's word, we do it best with God's people as a way to be built up in both maturity and love. And here's the encouragement. God has given us the grace to do it. God has given us the grace to grow in maturity for the good of of you, for the good of your church family, for the good of his glory. Kind of like what I just fleshed out under our S there. So there's a call for Christians to not be in perpetual milk drinking mode, if you know what I mean when I say that, but to mature into eating solid foods, right? So that our spiritual mind and our muscles are developing into greater godliness. God called the church to be the place for that to happen because your walk with Jesus, maybe you don't know this, or maybe you hear this, but you haven't really embraced this, but your walk with Jesus is not individual. It's not an individual sport here, this Christian life, right? It's a team sport. My growth, my development in Christ is good for not only me, but it's good for the entire body because it says in scripture very clearly that we're joined together, right? So you think about athletes and you think about any athlete who plays their own game on the court, on the field, and they never benefit the whole team when that's their mentality, right? Now, prepare to be shocked, but I played, wait for it, varsity basketball in high school. I wish half of you wouldn't have just laughed when I said that. Um, Now, there were those dudes, again, it it was a graduating class of 12, so let that sink in for a minute. I was wondering whether I should drop that or not. But even on our team, even on our large team, um, there were these dudes who never passed the ball, right? They never passed the ball. And they usually scored a few points, but we always lost the game. Which guy was I? The guy on the bench. I was, the, I was one of two guys on the bench, in spite of the fact that we only had seven guys on the team. <laughs> trying to humble myself right now to you guys. So in the same way, though, you guys get where I'm driving at. God has given us the church to grow together. Well, to grow together in what? Well, to grow together in unity and maturity and love, using our gifts to build up one another. So... What we're going to see here as we dive into Ephesians 4 is that we grow first and foremost under God's word. We're going to pick up with verse 11. Look what it says. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So he gave us Apostles, it says prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. God provides the church. He presents us with a succession of men that are called specifically to instruct us in God's word. Why? Well, because the word of God becomes positioned and it becomes immersed and ingrained in our lives. How? Well, Paul says right here, through preaching. So you want to visualize it in a way like like digging a hole, pouring in cement and putting a wood post down in it. Now, preaching is like the cement around the post, all right? It secures it against all the weather that's going to come its way and the weight that's going to attempt to bend and destroy the post. 
In fact, Paul told the church in Rome, he said this, he said, how then will they call on him and who they have not believed? Talking about people that have not yet believed the gospel. And he says, how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, this doesn't mean you need to say, Ronnie, have I ever told you how beautiful your feet are? I'm not looking for that, right? But what happens is that God opens men's hearts to the truth of his word through the preaching of it, right? Because the gospel is a message that has the power to do something that nothing else can do. And it has to enter our heads and it has to drop to our hearts so that it can come out of our hands, so that it can be of some good and use, not just to ourselves, but to one another. And by one another, I mean those people sitting next to you and then, of course, to our neighbors who we are told to love. That's why sitting under gospel-centered preaching is so important. It's the bedrock for spiritual maturity in our lives. But again, the word is not simply meant to sit on us, right? But it's meant to settle in us. It's meant to take root in us. If you have a garden and you just water the leaves of your plants, right? They're not going to grow, right? You need to water the soil so that the roots can drink it up so they can drink in that water. And the word is like that water that we want to drink in. When my wife cooks an incredible meal, man, we don't sit down at the table and just stare at its beauty for an hour, right? We eat it. If you know us, I didn't even need to say that, right? Preaching is the method God has chosen to feed us with his word. And you know what's so crazy about that is that it's a foolish method, it's a crazy method. It doesn't make any sense, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, for since in the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom because they don't have that wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So what Paul is saying is that every week that a gospel-centered preacher stands up to preach God's word, it's just foolishness to anybody whose word hasn't already been planted in them, whose God's word hasn't already been planted in them. It's foolish. So you can look at me and you can remember, man, that dude's, that fool's saying crazy things up there. Well, but it's words that you have now been given the spirit to understand. So to you, it's not foolishness, but to the world, it's a foolish wisdom that isn't wisdom, but to us, it is the very word of God. So in our day and age, preaching, oh my gosh, it's just more foolish than ever. It's crazier than ever because preaching is not a discussion. I'm not waiting for one of you to say, uh, hang on, pal. Right? It's not a dialogue. It's not Snapchat, right? It's not text messaging back and forth. It's this unique moment where God's word is opened, God's word is spoken, and those words begin a process a spiritual surgery on your heart and mind that for God willing, 40 minutes doesn't allow you to argue back, right? Do you know, do you know what I mean by that? It's kind of like this. Here's an example. Nobody laying under the knife during surgery starts arguing and debating with the surgeon. You're like, no, no, I have. Most of the time that doesn't happen. Now, most of the time when we're under the knife, nobody's saying, hang on, you know what? I, I've, I've had a thought, doc. Are you sure that that's the best tool for the job? Because if we did, if we had the power to do that, 
you know what would happen, right? We would start picking the prettier, less pointed, less sharper instruments. No, we let a surgeon use what he needs to use because he knows how to best start a process that's going to lead to our healing and eventual flourishing. Although it may hurt in the moment, ultimately we'll believe it's helping us. So men who preach and teach God's words, they, they need to say what it says. I need to just say what it says because hearers need the equipping and the building up that it provides toward maturity because the Bible equips your mind and heart for spiritual battles, right? Not just things that just create a more flowery life for you, but things that equip you for spiritual battles that you are constantly fighting in your life, that you're engaged in constantly, the Bible tells us, as well as to give you the confidence, by the way, and the encouragement that God is, is working. God is working even when it seems like everything else is working against you. Real or perceived. Paul told Timothy, this is what he said. This is how on preaching Paul was. He said, Timothy, look, man. He said, preach the word. He said, be ready in season and out of season. He said, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So part of teaching on spiritual maturity is me not up here saying, you better get mature now. Like, man, we better see some evidence of your maturity before I'm done speaking today. Well, that's not the grace of God. The grace of God that Paul here is talking to Timothy about is that you would do it with patience in teaching. He said this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They don't want it. They don't want to just open God's word and hear what God says because it is a surgical process in their hearts. But he says they have itching ears instead. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You guys can find somebody in another church online that is going to tell you a lot of great things about yourself and is going to allow you to walk out of every sermon, every Sunday, just, man, feeling like, man, I'm ready to, I'm ready to conquer the world. I'm not doing that bad of a job. Man, God is here for my comfort. God is here to give me what I want. God is here to make me happy. Live your best life now. Right? That's just not what the gospel says, though. That's not gospel preaching. That's not surgery in your heart, which is what gospel preaching is. That's not reproving, rebuking, exhorting. That's not saying, hey, guys, come on, let's remember who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus has called us to. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. So sitting under gospel preaching, it equips us. It equips us for ministry. It equips us for building up the body, one another. In other words, none of you can be on mission if you don't know what the mission is. Oh, Ronnie, I know what the mission is. Good, we're just going to keep talking about it so you don't forget. That's part of preaching. Because we constantly need to be reminded of what the mission of the church is and what we're ultimately moving towards. I'm excited about Acts because, man, we're just going to get to dive into that. So we grow under God's word, but we actually do it not alone. We do it with God's people. Let's pick up in the second part of uh, 12. I'll just read 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up uh, the body of Christ, 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness 
of Christ. That's a mouthful right there. But what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's speaking about us now as the church together, together, becoming like Jesus, being renewed into his image, which, by the way, we were created in. That's why there's a value on us, because we're fellow image bearers of God. So as a church, we should be more like Jesus this time next year than we are today as we continue to develop and grow and attain this unity of faith. There should be a level of growth that gets attained. Why? Well, because the word of God is actively sharpening us in love for God, in love for one another, and for the world. You have to take stock, though, of where you are and how God is growing you, right? So we take stock of where we are. That's why we do the things that we do here, right? That's why we gather for worship. That's why we consider this an important part of our week. That's why we gather in community groups on Wednesdays and Thursdays, right? It's an important part of how we are together as a church, growing in unity, maturity, and love. All of this gathering around God's word is put in place so that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. Again, as Paul told Timothy, and to attain maturity. There's so much opportunity to do that. So much opportunity to do that, which is why I urge you not to miss what God has provided for you here in this particular local body. Never have we had in our lifetime so many opportunities for growth. Yet I would say so many distractions which creates so little desire to utilize them. I mean, besides the Bible, we have so many resources. We have a couple of shelves out in our cafe. If you're new here, you can check it out. But we have so many resources by godly men and women who've written great words to encourage us and to help us attain to greater maturity. So many studies designed for us to gain greater knowledge of God. And yet, we can tend to be so uninterested. We can tend to be so drawn to other things. I know that I am. I know that I am. My mind is constantly being bombarded by so many things, what, what Paul calls civilian pursuits. It's kind of like preparing kids for adulthood, right? A good parent or a good teacher. I know we have some teachers here in the congregation. What is your aim? Well, your aim is maturity for your kids, right? Looking at the crumlicks holding their baby. The aim is maturity. You want your child at five to be where five-year-olds are at, right? At 10 to be where 10-year-olds are at. Some of you are new Christians. So new Christians, man, they drink a lot of milk. Why? Well, because that's where they're at. They need to learn the basics. They need to learn the foundationals of the Christian faith and the gospel. You need to hear things a lot because you're developing your understanding of God's word. You're, you're getting to know the character of this man called Jesus who you believe has saved you from destruction and rescued you. Some of you, though, have been believers for years. Some of you are 5, 10, 15 years old in the faith, but you still, it's like you walk around drinking milk from a sippy cup. I hope that doesn't sound harsh, because I don't mean it to sound that way. And I find myself even at times reaching for the sippy cup. Because it's easy. It goes down easy. But I want that to be an encouragement because it's time for 
some of you to start eating and digesting solid food, right? It's time for you to be built up in new levels of maturity because we grow under God's word. We don't do it alone though. We do it with God's people, but we do it so to be built up in maturity. Look what it says in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Paul is speaking about false teachers pushing doctrines, which is teachings or beliefs that clearly go against the word that we have been given from the apostles and prophets in which preachers preach to you in a gospel church every week, right? So there's a warning here. Paul's given us a warning. And it's a warning here that says, as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's word, we won't be easily drawn into those who try to manipulate the truth and try to deceive us. So a Christian that's growing in maturity is one who's growing in groundedness. Unlike children who are tossed to and fro, who don't know what they believe, who just get carried about by the wind or carried about by a new teaching or carried about by a new teacher who maybe has a form of the truth, but the substance of it isn't there. That wasn't a plug for our church. You know, when you think of a kid, man, I'm really killing the kids here today. But when you think of a kid, you think of someone susceptible to things, right? You think of someone susceptible to deception and who lacks a little bit of discernment, right? Because discernment, what is discernment? What is that big word? Well, discernment is wisdom. Well, great, Ronnie. Can you tell me what wisdom is? I'd be happy to. Wisdom is the ability to apply God's knowledge, what we know of God, to our lives. So when Adam fell back in Genesis, sin created a lack of wisdom. It created a broken discernment, a faulty wisdom, a faulty discernment in us, meaning we don't always make choices that please God. And then those choices, they do something, they create negative consequences. So the fall means that we are susceptible to being deceived. So every time we sin, every time you sin, every time I sin, which was only, I think I counted 43 times yesterday, it's deception. It's deception. It was me believing that God's ways weren't the good way, weren't the best way, but that my ways were better. It's deception, right? It's deception. We've conceived a thought. We've chosen a belief. We've performed an action that doesn't please God. That's sin. So God's word in us is the only thing to change what comes out of us and begins to build up maturity in us. So spiritual maturity, it means you're growing past childish ways that lack discernment and create instability. And one of the things about kids is that you can kid with a kid, right? One of the things I love about kids is that you can kid with them and they'll believe you. And that can be fun, right? Because they lack discernment, right? So when our daughter Beth was young, sometimes I'd bring home helium balloons and we lived in this condo with really high ceilings and the, the balloons would float to the top of these like 20 foot high vaulted ceilings. So when she asked for me to get them down, I told her that after she went to bed, what I'd like to do is fly up and then bring them down, right? And up until last year, she believed me. She believed I still could do that. She lacked the maturity and discernment to understand that I do not have the gift of human flight, right? Are you saying it's okay to lie to my child, Ronnie? 
Uh, yeah, it's fun and cute when they're four years old. Don't, don't, can we bleep that from the recording? Um, but when it comes to matters such as faith and doctrine, it's not cute. It's just not cute. It's just not adorable to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We have to be grounded in the word of Christ so that when people come peddling a different Christ to us, man, we just know. We just have these red flags that go up and go, that hits me wrong. My spirit is troubled when I hear that. That doesn't sound like what God's word has told me to be true. Because how else will you know? Right? How else will you know? How else will you know when you hear a cool looking dude on YouTube preaching something else? Preaching something that's dangerous and ridiculous. How else will you know when someone gives you a book written by a woman who's trying to deviate from the orthodox traditions of the faith? How will you know that it's not right? How else will you know unless you know the truth, right? So we want to be built up in maturity so that we can be guarded against anything that's trying to prevent us from growing in it. And we also want to be built up in love. Look what he says in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we were able to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, man, just to grow up in maturity is one thing. But you notice what Paul adds to it. It's not just maturity, right? We can be very mature. We can have all the right answers. And then we can lack love. Because maturity without love can be brutality in the way that we might communicate it. Because if it's just truth, if it's just truth, then it takes away, it scrapes away from the fatherliness that God provided us with the truth, which was through the love of his son to us. So we can't just grow in maturity, but we gotta be built up in it with love. Paul tells us that truth spoken in love is the way to maturity. So a, a greater knowledge of God leads to a greater knowledge of ourself. We talked about that last week, which as we are built up in maturity and love, continues to manifest itself more greatly in our lives. He says this phrase, what does he say? Speaking the truth in love. I mean, we sure like to speak the truth, I think, don't we? I mean, I just wanna give you the truth right now. I'd love to just power down on the truth. I'd like to just hammer out the truth. But do we do it in a way that shows care? for the life and the maturity? Do we do it in a way that shows patience for the life and maturity of our brothers and sisters? Do we receive it that way from them? Do we allow, do we invite people to speak the truth and love to us? Have you been able to go to your brother and sister or your pastor recently and say, tell me what you're seeing in my life. Man, what am I missing? What do I need to grow in? Is there something I'm blind to? Has my pride blinded me? in a way that I'm just lacking self-awareness. And similarly, do, do you love others enough to do the same? Because a loving friend, a loving parent speaks truth to the people that they love. Melissa will tell me, she'll say, you know what? I'm seeing some things in your life pop up. I'm seeing some bitterness, for example. I'm seeing lack of trust in God. I'm seeing an absence of thankfulness come through you lately. It concerns me. And it's a mark of humility and maturity for me when I have 
uh, humility and maturity to receive it instead of roaring back at her like a hungry lion and say, how dare you call me out? Which is just proving my lack of maturity and humility, by the way. So her love for me, what does it do? What, what are we talking about here? It's motivational. It motivates her to speak truth and truth in love, not just truth, so that I'm being built up in maturity and love. And of course, there's different ways of doing this. Speaking truth isn't just calling out sin. It's also reminding people that God loves them, that God hasn't deserted them and abandoned them, that God is their help in times of trouble. It's also about encouraging speaking truth in love. It's using your gifts to build up the body so that all the parts are working together, that all the parts are functioning properly like we read in verse 16. Man, there's a lot of giftedness in this church. A lot of giftedness as we look around. So many of you with so many talents that can be used to encourage. There's nobody here that doesn't have something that is not able to be used to benefit and to encourage another person in our body. A lot of it's unused, though. A child, again, here's our theme, isn't able to use the potential of their gifts, right, at two years old. At two years old, LeBron already had everything in him to be the basketball player that he is. It was already there, right? It was there. But his playing wasn't helping anyone at two because he hadn't developed the skills that were there. He hadn't grown to the height and the stature that is necessary yet to compete in the NBA. But all the talent was still there. And yet, if he'd never set foot on a basketball court as he grew up, how would he have ever known? How would he have ever known? You ever wonder that? You ever wonder that about, about, about professional athletes? How many professional, amazing athletes are out there, but for some reason, God directed their life to where they never stepped foot on the field or the court to uncover those gifts. So what Paul is talking about here is he's encouraging us. He's saying, step out, discover what those gifts are. How do I do that? I do that by getting together with others, speaking the truth in love, growing in God's word with them, being an encourager to them, and discovering what some of those things are that are in me that God has given me a desire to do, right? For some of you, the gifting is there, but you've just not matured in a way that's allowing it to grow in you and build up the body around you. You're not allowing good teaching to equip you and build spiritual weight and muscle in you. You're still like children. You're being carried by the wind of other doctrines. So the gifts God has given you are lying dormant. They're underdeveloped instead of God growing them and using them through you. So when we think of maturity, at least when I think of maturity, if you say the word, hey, Ronnie, maturity, um, my mind, I, I never think of myself. My mind always goes to young people or to our kids. We say, would you just grow up already? How many times have you ever said that? to a kid, whether it's your kid or another kid or maybe a cousin or a, a brother or sister, would you just grow up already? Would you just stop? Would you just act your age? I tend to be so impatient. You just kind of wish that they would be in a place that they're not. Here's how I want to end our time today. God is not doing that with us this morning, okay? He's patient. 
He's patient. He's loving. He's kind. He's gentle. So we have his grace and all the pieces are in place for love and maturity to be built up in us as a church. I've seen a lot of love. I've seen a lot of maturity built up in this church too. I look around the room, everything we need for this growing and building. Has God not been good enough to give it to us? Well, the answer is that he has. It's represented right here. Everybody on the left and to the right of you, it's represented here. I mean, you just look around. You're joined together with these people, these people. These people are your opportunities to love and to be loved. These people are the ones God has sovereignly put in your life for your maturity in the faith. Why? Because we grow in God's word with God's people. Because an immature Christian is one who is simply not maturing in God's word. And to mature in God's word means that you have to be in God's word you got to open the book. If not, how will you know who Jesus is and what he's like? How will you remember his promises to you when you're surrounded by people who do nothing but lie to you? How will you know the gifts that you've been given for the good of you, for the good of others? How will you know bad doctrine if you're not familiar with good doctrine? How will you speak the truth in love if you don't know the truth or have the kind of gospel love to speak it with? So here's Paul's encouragement to us, and it's simply this. Let's no longer be children in our faith. Let's remember what Paul has told us in chapter 2, if you go back to verse 19, that we're a holy temple, that we are the place where God dwells that grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, that the grace we've been gifted in Christ, by the way, is inexhaustible. So the invitation is for us to drink from this inexhaustible fountain and to move toward attaining this measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're not going to get there today, but that's okay because we're together in unity so let's grow up in that unity in every way into Christ. Let's build one another up. Let's be built up together. We are the church, right? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you that this is what you have built for us to grow in maturity and in love and to be built up in the things that most please you and lead us to our greatest flourishing. God, thank you for reminding us that you're patient with us as we grow in maturity. You're not standing over us like the mean headmaster demanding us to shape up or ship out. But Lord, your patience with us and your grace is extended to us once again today. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the reminder of it. Amen.